District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Happy Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to District of Conservation. I am your host, Gabriella Hoffman. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you found Mark's interview yesterday interesting and riveting and compelling, especially if you follow shooting sports. There will be a lot of updates between now and likely the end of the year. We are definitely going to be seeing more and more attacks to Second Amendment rights. We're going to see more people going hunting. National Shooting Sports Month is on the horizon and so much more. So we're going to keep you abreast with all the updates stemming from Washington and beyond regarding legislation, executive orders, good and bad, and everything in between. Today, I'm going to briefly discuss some stories you may have overlooked and some items that are worth your consideration across energy, conservation, and wildlife. Here are four stories I have on the docket for you today. A conservation group is polling their support for Tracy Stone Manning. The Dallas Safari Club sent a letter to the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Chairman Joe Manchin and John Barrasso rescinding its support behind Tracy Stone Manning. They cited its previous letter from June in support of her to oversee BLM, where they wrote that she was, quote, uniquely qualified, end quote, to run the government agency. Since that time, Dallas Safari Club has become aware of information that has made it impossible at this time to continue to back the nominee for director of BLM, they wrote in the letter, which was obtained by Fox News. They pointed out that although she purports to be an avid hunter and outdoors woman, the Biden nominee was involved with, quote, extreme environmentalist group Earth First, which has a history of sabotage, property destruction, and creating dangerous work environments for loggers and sawmill operators. There is no doubt that this group performed violent acts, including tree spiking, as part of their platform to get attention in America, the letter reads. If you want to read that full story, it's at foxnews.com. So Tracy Stone Manning is the Biden pick to head up the Bureau of Land Management, which in recent years has become a very controversial role. I know there was a lot of criticism for President Trump's BLM director, and he wasn't necessarily confirmed. I had some mixed opinions about him personally, but that's besides the point. But it seems like regardless of administration, there's always controversy surrounding BLM picks. And this one especially has some questionable positions with her past ties. Certainly, if a nominee has criticisms, I think it's worthwhile discussing it. What I say is not going to impact the Senate's vote for her confirmation or lack thereof, but I think it's still worthwhile to discuss some of her questionable policies and past positions, especially in light of some new information that has been revealed. I've had some friends tell me that she's actually been very good as a conservationist, and I totally respect them for holding that position. But if it turns out that these criticisms are true, and it seems like mounting evidence is pointing to such and you have growing bipartisan even disagreement over her selection, even from an Obama BLM director from his first term. That goes to show that something is awry with the pick. But whether or not she gets confirmed, I can't predict. If the moderate senators from both the right and the left see that she is unfit to serve, maybe they'll table her nomination. Maybe they'll say to the Biden administration, hey, you need to pick someone new. But they've largely had their nominees confirmed, unfortunately, and I'm quite in opposition to what many of them stand for, personally speaking. But unless something earth-shattering happens, even in light of this really concerning information, I don't see her not getting confirmed. I do see her possibly passing through unless there is mounting opposition to her. Republican Senators John Barrasso, who is the ranking member of the 
Senate Natural Resources and Energy Committee and also Dan Sullivan of Alaska have both indicated their concerns with her pick and have asked the president to withdraw his nomination of her. And John Barrasso says of her, um, apparently he commented to E News regarding her involvement in a 1989 tree spiking case in Idaho. And they interviewed the federal investigator in the case, and he confirmed that she was the target of the investigation and that she failed to cooperate with investigators. And the in lack of initial cooperation with law enforcement set the investigation back by several years, according to this investigator. And Barrasso is quoted as saying, this investigator had confirmed what I've been saying. Tracy Stone Manning collaborated with eco-terrorists who had booby-trapped trees with metal spikes. She mailed the threatening letter for them and was part of the cover-up. She did not cooperate with investigators until she was caught. Tracy Stone Manning lied to the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee by claiming the tree spiking was alleged and that she never was investigated. Now we have confirmation that neither of those things are true. President Biden should withdraw her nomination. Similarly, you had Dan Sullivan also issue a transcript, and he went to the Senate floor to urge a rescindance, urge a rescinding of her nomination. And he says that it was his first time doing such. And I'll attach this clip for you guys to read, but I'm reading briefly that the reason I have never done this before is because we have not yet confronted something confronted someone with Tracy Stone Manning's past, which involves being a member, part of an extreme group that performed violent acts as part of their platform for getting attention in America, violence, a group engaging in overt eco-terrorism. By the way, this is becoming a bipartisan issue, a serious bipartisan issue, as I am about to talk in a little more detail. And then he also announced that Mr. Bob Abbey, who was the director of BLM under the Obama-Biden administration the first term, that he is also concerned with her involvement in this tree spiking case. Now, here is a little bit of Bob Abbey's opposition to the nominee. And you would think there would be unity among Democrats in support of Biden's nominees. But even if this guy is speaking out, that is cause for concern. And here's what Bob Abbey said, that uh, her involvement in this tree spiking incident on the Clearwater National Forest in Idaho in 1989 are enough to disqualify her from leading the bureau. And she previously worked for Senator John Tester, by the way. And he said that before the tree spiking allegations had been, he had been truly hopeful that she would be confirmed and become the type of leader BLM needs at this point in time. Unfortunately, I am now one of the people who believe that she should withdraw her name from further consideration for the BLM director position. He added, I take no pleasure in coming to this conclusion. Even if her role in spiking trees in a national forest was minimal, the fact she stood by and allowed the criminal action to take place could have resulted in critical injuries or worse to career public servants who were just performing their duties, Abby said. As a 30-year BLM career employee, I don't take her actions lightly, nor should anyone else. He added, if Stone Manning participated in any aspect of planning, implementation, or cover-up in the spiking of trees, then she should not be confirmed. He added, he said, if she were to be confirmed, the incident would hang over her head at the bureau, clouding every decision that she would make. And this is from e News, and if you want to read the full comments that he made. I will provide that in the show notes for you all. But you see growing bipartisan opposition to her. Like I said, unless there is growing Democrat opposition to her, in addition to Republican opposition, she may cruise to it. But as former BLM director Abby said, 
this controversy could hang over her head. And I think it's important to watch this. And we'll continue to do that here at the District of Conservation podcast. But that's really alarming. And eco-terrorism is a very serious threat. I remember growing up hearing about ELF and some of these other groups. And a lot of groups today pretend not to have violent tendencies or extremist tendencies, I would say. And some people are legitimized in different positions in government and elsewhere. So that could look very poorly on the Biden administration if they were to, in effect, have someone like that with questionable ties representing the bureau that manages and oversees all public lands in this country. I will keep you updated for all the latest updates and if her nomination proceeds. We have a WOTUS update, and unsurprisingly, it comes as no shock to anyone that President Biden, when he took the helms of the presidency and appointed all his deputies, that they would unravel, I would say, one of the most critical reforms implemented under the Trump administration, reforming WOTUS rules that were needed because they were using the 2015 navigable water rules to essentially designate every body of water to their heart's desire as a navigable water, including puddles, which are not navigable waters. And this caused a lot of pain and strife with people on the ground out west in rural communities and its government overreach. And the rule simplified and clarified what exactly is a navigable water. It didn't undo the law. It didn't result in wetlands destruction or other issues that a lot of opponents of the reforms had communicated. It actually did improve a lot. Dan Newhouse of Washington, Chairman Steve Daines, uh, the senator we've had previously, Representative Marionette Miller-Meeks and Senator Joni Ernst, they sent a letter to EPA Administrator Michael Regan and Acting Assistant Secretary of the Army for Civil Works, Jamie Pinkham, to express serious concerns with the Biden administration's decision to remand the 2020 navigable water protection rules and open and reopen the definition of, quote, waters of the United States. And the lawmakers wrote, these steps demonstrate a misguided and out-of-touch approach toward addressing the needs of local communities across the country. The NWPR was an immense step forward in rectifying the regulatory overreach that was attempted in 2015, and your agency's vague announcement and opaque process fails to ensure our communities will not once again be subject to further uncertainty and government overreach. The lawmakers outlined the unprecedented overreach of the failed Obama-era 2015 Waters of the Rule Waters of the United States rule and highlight the impacts that returning to a drastic expansion of federal jurisdiction over non-navigable waters will have on rural communities across the United States. Our farmers, ranchers, landowners, and small business owners have demonstrated a deep commitment to stewarding our waterways and lands, which is why this radical overreach was met with bipartisan opposition and concern that was even echoed by Administrative Regan during his confirmation process, they wrote. They continued, confusion, regulatory uncertainty, and litigation have surrounded the scope of federal authority of our nation's navigable waters for decades. With your recent actions, the Biden administration is trampling upon the progress and further jeopardizing rural Americans' confidence that the administration is working in their best interest. Rural communities in the West and across the country are dedicated to clean water and do not deserve to be punished by far-reaching, burdensome government federal regulations. So you can read this press release in full detail if you're curious. But this is from the Western Caucus, both the House and Senate caucuses. The third story relates to two Western governors being excluded from talks about active forest management. And he excluded the Montana and Idaho governors, Greg Gianforte and Brad Little, respectively. And in response, the two Western governors issued 
a statement urging President Biden to commit to active responsive partnership with states and wildfire response, wildfire preparedness in active forest management. No state in what it faces and how it responds is like another. Governors Jan Fortan Little wrote, we were disappointed to learn not all Western states who face a harsh wildfire season will be at the table. Stressing the importance of a close coordinated approach to wildfire response among all levels of government, the Governors wrote, we can achieve the best outcomes for the people we serve when the federal government works with states to develop and execute proactive plans that ensure we promptly respond to fires that put communities at risk. We should apply this operating principle regardless of whether a fire starts on private, state, or federal land. And I'm reading through this statement from the... Montana governor, the governors reiterated their commitment to an aggressive initial response to wildfires and expressed hope the president will join them in that commitment. Unfortunately, they are not really going to focus on wildfire management. And you know, want to know why I'm not trying to be stoking political fire here, no pun intended, but they lump and put the blame with reckless fires at the hands of climate change universally. If you have listened to my past conversations with Michael Schellenberger and some others, serious environmentalists will tell you that is not the case. It is a small but contributing factor. The large responsible reason why fires are unmanaged and bigger and more problematic now is because there's no active fire management, especially in states like California, where preservationists dictate all fire management policies, making it impossible for forests to be properly managed. So the fact that he is excluding certain governors from discussion is alarming, not surprising in the least, and hopefully he will listen to their letters. But this, this is so frustrating if you care about conservation and having active forest management. And my goal is also through the podcast to bring more people who work in this space to talk about their industry, talk about the misconceptions, and express their frustrations sometimes working with federal government to achieve forest management and sound practices that are beneficial to everyone, forests included. So that's not surprising to see that. And you can also find the full letter in the show notes from Governors Gianforte and Little. A final thing I want to talk about, which is so interesting because we see everyone pushing for clean, renewable energy, which has its faults and it's not perfect and it's not truly sustainable. I'm sorry to say, I am an all of the above person. I want to embrace an innovation. I don't want government picking winners and losers. And by saying, well, we have to transition by some arbitrary deadline at the expense of what is working and is cheap, especially if the alternatives are not sustainable from a practical standpoint, nor from a cost-effective use standpoint either. And a very interesting energy source is somewhat making a comeback. And this is from the Wall Street Journal. And you may disagree with this, I happen to believe coal still has value. Here in Virginia, about 10%, according to most recent EPA figures, showed that about 10% of our state is powered by coal. And I've been to Virginia's coal country. It's still a very active place when it comes to this and many other places across the country. A handful of them still produce coal as well. It's a lot cleaner. It's not as toxic as it used to be. And the Wall Street Journal notes that coal shows its staying power as economies bounce back. And the subheadline reads, surging electricity use and higher natural gas prices are giving coal a new life despite its environmental drawbacks. Coal use is surging in some of the world's largest economies as electricity demand rebounds from the pandemic, illustrating the challenges to countries looking to wean themselves off the dirty but reliable fossil fuel. 
Coal was in decline for a few years in many countries, but its use is now picking up in the United States, China, and Europe despite growing pressure from governments, investors, and environmentalists to curb carbon emissions. The leading reason for the uptick, which has pushed coal prices to multi-year highs, is rising power demand as economies reopen rapidly from pandemic hibernation. I will say former President Obama had his hand in destroying the coal industry. And that displaced so many people from the workforce. If you go to southwestern Virginia and you see the place, like it's still impacted by that. And they were very optimistic about the last administration. Certainly, they probably didn't agree with everything, but they were a little hopeful that coal would bounce back. And I don't know how they feel about what happened over the last four years, but at least their industry really wasn't in anyone's crosshairs. But President Obama's policies did, in effect, kill the coal industry, and that's really lamentable, especially if it is now having staying power uh, post-pandemic. And uh, I'm reading the section before the paywall activates in. This is a really interesting tidbit. While analysts and executives say the resurgence of coal is likely to be short-lived, it shows the world's continued dependence on fossil fuels until renewable energy capacity grows further and storage technologies improve. Countries have spent billions adding renewable power capacity at record rates, but solar and wind projects generate electricity only when the sun is shining or the wind is blowing and can't be ramped up when the demand rises. Those limitations mean the world is still reliant on fossil fuels, especially when there is a surge in electricity demand. Analysts say this will remain the case until more renewable capacity is added, along with storage such as batteries. However, we've seen indications from this new administration saying that they don't want to mine domestically, and mining is required for batteries, solar technology, wind turbines, and we're going to still rely on China for those minerals, critical minerals. So if you're calling for a Made in America, clean renewable energy plan, and you're still relying on our (laughs) nemesis... China for that. You're not serious about clean energy, but that's just my opinion. So coal is having a second look. I don't know if it's going to kind of rebound long-term, but we will continue to monitor that here at the podcast. But I found this to be so interesting. I had to share it. Not because like, oh, you know, I'm an apologist for the coal industry. I wish I was getting backing from the coal industry. I would help them market better, but (laughs) I just in that respect. But coal, Second Life. What do you guys think about that? Let me know. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you're following us on your preferred podcast player. We like to recommend Apple Podcasts because Apple is where most of our listenership hails from. So if you head over to Apple, subscribe, comb through some episodes and leave us reviews, we'd be more than appreciative of your support in that manner. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor a guest announcement. And you can connect with me personally on my social media feeds. All of the Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram links that I have are all denoted by blue check marks. Really easy to find me. So engage with me there. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you want to recommend yourself for the show as a prospective guest, I'm all ears to hear and sift through different inquiries. Stay tuned for the next episode. Appreciate you listening.